It's a real joy to be with you here at Naples. My wife and I, we rolled into town last night from central Florida. And uh, everything since we arrived last night, everything we just love about Naples. Um, we just love the beaches. We took a walk last night. We took a walk this morning. We looked at some of the mansions down by the water. Um, I wanted to take a picture of one of the mansions and tell the pastor, Pastor Art, that uh, the church just bought you a new parsonage. But uh, I didn't quite have the nerve. I did take a picture of the sun going down last night, and I took a picture and said to him, this is your new backyard. And uh, he, you know what he said? He said, I could get used to that. But um, just, I just have enjoyed working with the search committee here of the church, Naples Church. Uh, search committee, if you're here, if you're one of the members of the search committee, would you just stand for just a moment? Uh, we we want to recognize you, and we want to thank you for serving on the committee. Thank you so much. Uh, we had a wonderful time. I want to tell you, I don't know if we broke a record, but we came close to breaking a record in terms of the least amount of times that we had to meet before we selected and before the pastor chose to come. It only take, it took us about maybe three months or so. And uh, normally it doesn't happen that fast. Um, it could go on for six months, nine months, and I've seen it happen even up to a year. But I think because it happened so fast is because, number one, the church, you put in place the right committee, wonderful people. I really enjoyed working with you. It was a blessing. And then, of course, the Holy Spirit guiding, leading us, knowing that you needed a pastor rather sooner than later. And uh, so glad to know he's coming next week to look for a home. Um, hopefully he won't get too scared because of the, the market out there, right, in homes. But... Um, I'll tell you, if I knew Naples was going to be this good, I may have wanted to put my name in the hat a few months ago. I'm, I'm, I'm kidding you. Uh, I'm very happy with what I'm doing. I'm very content. God has us where he wants us, all of us. So good morning, Naples. It's so good to be with you. It's so good to bring you the word of, of God this morning. Um, I want to give you greetings from the Florida Conference office. You notice I didn't say Florida Conference because you're the Florida Conference. You make up the Florida Conference. Over 66, 67,000 members of, of Florida Conference. So thank you for what you do. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your support here at the church or if you're visiting wherever you serve, wherever you live. I believe that God has a message for us. And uh, I'm really excited to bring this message. It's one of my favorite stories of the Bible. I believe it's the gospel in verity. So with that introduction, thank you, Sharon, for sharing those words. I want to invite you now to bow your heads uh, as we prepare now to open God's word. Heavenly Father, we ask this simple prayer that you would take these dear people, this audience, and the, the audience beyond through, uh, through camera, and that you would take this book and my lips and do something wonderful that would help us to draw closer to you 
and to be prepared when you come again. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you now to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, the seventh chapter. Luke, the seventh chapter, and we're going to begin with verse 36. Luke chapter 7, beginning with verse 36. I've entitled the message, A Scent of Love. And so here in this story, it begins with Jesus accepting Simon's invitation to come to his home for a meal. Now Luke doesn't mention Simon's motive for having Jesus over as an honored guest. But it's very possible that Simon invites Jesus over because Jesus had healed him prior of leprosy. And so it's the Sabbath day, just like today. Now it's necessary to realize just how important this story is. Because all four gospel writers include this story. That's significant. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John include the story. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they say a certain woman was there. However, they don't mention her name. And it isn't until John writes his gospel, he mentions and records her name. And who is it? It's Mary, the sister of Lazarus and Martha. And so scholars generally agree that the event took place at Simon's home. It was kind of an after-service dinner invitation. You see, it was common practice to invite the speaker of the day over for a meal as well, after Sabbath service. And so no sooner does the meal begin to be served at Simon's home, when a woman of the town, a prostitute, Arise, carrying a vial made of alabaster. It's filled with costly perfume. No doubt that she heard that Jesus was coming to Simon's home through the Bethany grapevine. And as the men recline, as they did back then, before they ate, they would recline. As the first course is being served, they begin to notice, they begin to see one by one a womanly figure enter the room. This woman begins to enter into the room that all these men are attending this meal. And they begin to think to themselves, could it be? Is that? No, it can't be. Mary from Magdala? Who invited her? Who let her in? Who does she think she is coming to this dinner for men? How dare you, woman? And murmurings of disapproval sweep the room. You see, according to the Jews, according to the religious leaders that were gathered, Mary had many strikes against her. First of all, she was a woman. 
And women, unfortunately, were not permitted to such meals unless they were going to serve. So this gathering was exclusively a night out with the fellas. Let's get the context right. Mary wasn't supposed to come to this high-class reception. And so she comes, listen, get this, she comes without an invitation. Would you ever go to somebody's house who's having a meal, entertaining others? Would you ever go without an invitation? Mary does. You see, women were present that day only to serve the meal. They were only to be behind the scenes. I want to say it with the word again, unfortunately. And so this was looked upon as a brazen, disrespectful act on the part of Mary to be there. They must have thought to themselves, she knows better. And then secondly, she lived from the proceeds of an immoral life. She was a prostitute. And a prostitute had nothing to bring as a religious offering. She had nothing to offer God. In fact, rabbinical law forbade the priests. Imagine, you couldn't even, if you were a prostitute, you couldn't even give money at the temple as a, as a sacrifice. You couldn't even sacrifice animals for your sins because you were a prostitute. The priests wouldn't serve you. Imagine that. And so her life defiled her in such a way that she could have no normal place in society. Yet in all of this, she still came boldly, knowing all the barriers. You know what? This woman is not inhibited. She doesn't care about those around her. She doesn't care what other people think. Isn't that how we should come to church on Sabbath? And here's a le another lesson for us. Here it is. To be so lost with Jesus that you don't even notice anything or anyone around you. It's as though she has a one-track mind to worship her Savior as if she was the only one in the room with him. Maybe you heard the story about a woman. She loved ice cream, and she was walking through the mall one day, and she saw the neon sign, haagen -Dazs. And she was compelled. She could not walk away. She had to go in and get herself an ice cream. Anybody here like that? So she walks in. She takes her place in line. Finally, the attendant uh, takes her order, and she orders her ice cream. And as she's looking around, you know how we do. We kind of look to the left and look to the right and over our shoulder. Right behind her is none other than the American actor Paul Newman with those blue eyes. And when she saw him, her heart began to pitter-patter and her, weeks, her knees almost gave in. She almost fell to the floor. She couldn't take it. And so, oh my goodness, I can't believe this. Paul Newman, uh, can you imagine? He's behind me. I can't wait to tell my friends. And so she gets her ice cream and she walks out and she says, I'm going to wait one more time. I'm going to wait. I'm going to stop here toward the, uh, the exit. I'm going to wait for him to come by and I'm going to take one more good look. I mean, when's she going to see this guy again, right? So as she's standing there and as he comes by, he walks right up to her and he says to her, I just love ice cream, don't you? And by the way, if you're looking for yours, you put it in your pocketbook. 
What is it like to be in a room where you're only concerned and absorbed about one person? This was the heart of Mary. It did not matter that others didn't want her there. Everybody in that room was against her. Simon, all the men, the disciples, Judas. She must have thought to herself, even my sister Martha would tell me I don't belong here. But she wasn't distracted. She wasn't distracted by the coldness. She wasn't distracted by the condemning spirit. She came looking for Jesus. Is that what you're looking for this morning? And that is the attitude of a true worshiper. That is how we should come to church to worship God. It shouldn't matter who's preaching. It shouldn't matter who's singing. It shouldn't matter who's praying. What matters is Jesus is here. One by one, they begin to recognize their uninvited guest. But so does Jesus. And Jesus welcomes her, not with folded arms, not with bony fingers, not with raised eyebrows. Because, you see, Jesus is more than just a nice guy. Jesus is more than just a teacher or a prophet or a philosopher. Jesus is the Savior of the world. And Mary knew it. She knew it. And she came to him in that assurance Every man at that party came to be recognized, but Mary came to recognize Jesus. Mary must have heard Jesus speak of his approaching crucifixion and of his death on other occasions. I want to tell you that Mary is one of the few who really understood Jesus, who really understood his mission. She got it, and very few really understood Jesus. By the way, Jesus was the most misunderstood person ever. And so what does Mary do? She decides to anoint Jesus. While he's still alive with fragrant oil, rather than waiting until his death to embalm him. And here's another lesson from this story. It would be better for us to bring somebody one little daisy, even if it was wilted, give it to them while they're alive, than to bring truckloads at their funeral and drop them off. And so in the presence of the surprised guests, she could not utter a word, but she spoke with her eyes as her tears of gratitude fell on the Savior's feet. And she spoke with her hair as she let her hair down and as she used it as a towel, you know, it was a disgrace. It was considered disgraceful act for a woman to let her hair down in public. Imagine that. In fact, Jewish women were to always have their hair either covered or plaited or held up with a bandana. Whenever they were in public, they could not let their hair down. You could only let your hair down if you were a woman only when you were home, only for your husband. In fact, Jewish law listed loosing the hair before another man in public as grounds for divorce. Can you imagine that? You let your hair down, woman in public, I'm divorcing you. But this woman, this woman is sending a message. You know what she's saying? This man, Jesus, this man, he's my man. He's my man. 
That's what she's saying. And so publicly, the woman's act was an indecent and shameful, and by now, her display of gratitude and sorrow for her past life disgusted the viewers. All they could see that she was a bad woman. All they could see that not only was she a bad woman, but this spiritual le leader, Jesus, they're beginning to question even him now because of the way he is treating her. Imagine that. Finally, the woman begins to kiss Jesus' feet repeatedly and anoint them with outrageous, costly perfume. And that perfume was so costly that it would have been worth tens of thousands of dollars today. Can you imagine? The Bible says that she poured out a year's salary on Jesus' feet. A year's salary. We're not talking about a 10% tithe. We're not talking about a 5% offering for the church budget or a five or a ten dollar bill thrown into the offering plate. We're talking about thirty, forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars. One time. I don't know what you make a year, ma'am. I don't know what you make a year, sir. But can you imagine taking a year's salary and putting it all on Jesus' feet, anointing him with that perfume? You know what? This story is outrageous. This story is ridiculously crazy. We're talking about high rollers, high stakes. And she gave it all one time, one shot. She held nothing back. As God gives abundantly, she gave abundantly. When was the last time anybody in this church gave an offering like that? I can tell you this. The preacher hasn't. Who was willing to give like that? There was a multimillionaire talking at a rally, and he said, when I was young, I would give God everything I had, and I would place it into the offering plate. Sometimes I gave $10, sometimes I gave $50, sometimes $100, whatever I had, I would just give it up and put it in the offering plate. And then he said, look at me now. I'm a millionaire, a multimillionaire. Because I gave God all that I had. And someone in the back shouted, Do it again, I dare you. <laughs> At that moment, Mary realized that all she owned, added to all the treasures of this world, was nothing more than a pile of tinsel compared to the wealth of heaven's grace and forgiveness. King Solomon was right when he wrote a long time ago, what would profit anyone if they could gain the whole world, the riches, and in the end lose their soul? As we continue with the story, some begin to rebuke her now. Their critical spirit surfaces, their guilt and their shame and their hypocrisy is killing them. And then Judas, one of the twelve, asks a question. Why wasn't this ointment wasted? Why was this ointment wasted instead of being sold to help the poor? Let me translate that for you. Why wasn't the money given to the treasury of Jesus 
so that I'm in charge of it so no one can steal it. Simon thought to himself, if this man was really a prophet, he would know who this woman really was. And by their inner thoughts and their questionings, they both revealed that they had grossly misunderstood the mission and the character of Jesus. The one thing that we do most relating to Jesus, the one thing is we always underestimate his love and his grace. But Jesus came not to pamper the self-righteous, not to condemn the sinner, but to offer life and forgiveness to every sinner who turns to him in repentance and faith. I came to church just to hear that myself. And this woman, Mary, is a shining example of our great need of Jesus. Simon was a sin spotter. Anybody know what a sin spotter is? always looking for the sin in others, but not in themselves. I hope you're not like that. Simon arranged people into classes. It's easy to dismiss what people say or do when we categorize them, right? Oh, he's just a conservative. Oh, she's just, she's just a, pr a progressive, a thinker outside the box. It's so easy to use these labels. And in the process, we destroy the unity of the church, just like in this story. You see, sin spotters like Simon only notice the sin in others, but not in themselves. They only notice the sin, but not the sinner, not the person. And Jesus sees the sin, but he also loves the sinner. Jesus knew Mary's problem, but he also knew her heart. He brought salvation to her, not by accepting her sin, but by accepting her as a daughter of God. When someone sins, how often do we feel driven to condemn, trying to prove our own purity, instead of accepting others and allowing Jesus to clean and to purify them? That's what Simon was doing. We're called to be fishers of men. We're not called to clean the fish. We catch them, the Holy Spirit cleans them. Jesus healed Simon from leprosy. Now he wants to heal him from Pharisaism. Yes, Mary was a sinner. And she knew it. So was Simon. But he didn't know it. Simon was more concerned about the outward cleaning of the leprosy Versus the inward cleaning of forgiveness and, and guilt and pride and lust. That's why the Bible says that man looks on the outward appearance, but God knows the heart. Matthew 23. It wasn't in my notes, but I'm going to turn to it. Matthew chapter 23. Notice if you would, if you have your Bibles. 23. Matthew 23, verse 27. Notice. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, 
talking about now leprosy being gone from Simon. Oh, he looks beautiful now. No more leprosy. That's all he cared about. But inside, they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. And so you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Mary knew it. Simon didn't. Jesus' words describe one who is swift to discern a defect in others and slow to see their own. Not until we come to the place of being willing to lay down our life for another and in order to save them from eternal death do we have a right to cast out the speck in their eye. Before you can condemn, you must first be willing to die for them. Wow. Wow. When Mary visited Simon's home, her heart was bursting with gratitude for Jesus. And you know, she had good reason, didn't she? Jesus already freed her from demon possession. Imagine seven times, the Bible says. Seven times Jesus healed her from demon possession. I don't think he tried to heal her and left one behind, had to go back, had to go back, had to go back. I think Mary was a backslider. I think Mary went back to her old ways. Isn't it wonderful to know that Jesus loves backsliders? Isn't it wonderful to know that if you leave the church and come back, Jesus loves that about you? He loved it about Mary, and he loves it about you. And so Jesus had healed her from seven, on seven different occasions of demon possession. Jesus protected her from a hungry mob who wanted to stone her, remember? And John for committing adultery. Jesus raised her brother Lazarus from the dead and now pardons her sins and welcomes her. No wonder why, no wonder Mary loves Jesus so much. Look at all that he did for her. Look at all he does for us. Jesus was probably one of very few people who treated Mary like a child of God. He forgave her sins, became the source of everything good in Mary's life, no wonder she responded with such devotion. And see, we're getting to the climax now. Stay with me. The amazing grace of Christ will not appear so amazing unless we become first amazed by our own sinfulness. Jesus will not appear as a wonderful Savior unless first I appear as a wretched sinner. And that's why Simon and so many in this world are not turned on to Jesus. They refuse to see themselves as they really are. If you want revival in your life, the first step is seeing yourself with who you really are, how God sees you. Remember when Peter denied Christ three times? Remember he denied him three times and then the, 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 the rooster crowed? The, the Bible says that he went out and he wept in the same spot that Jesus was praying and weeping in Gethsemane. And we're told that by Peter, weeping because of what he did was the beginning of his conversion. Simon's heart had not been changed, even though his leprous skin was 
on the outside. He was not changed on the inside. It was a story of Grandpa. The grandkids and, and Mom was visiting Grandpa, and Grandpa decided to take a nap, and so the kids knew that they can't wake up Grandpa while he's sleeping. And as Grandpa is sleeping in the other room, the two granddaughters, they get a, they get a brilliant idea. They go into the refrigerator, and they grab a, a piece of Limburger cheese, and they tiptoe into Grandpa's room, and they take some of that cheese, and they begin to very carefully smudge some of that cheese on Grandpa's mustache and on his beard. And they tiptoe out. And not long after, Grandpa wakes up with a snort. And he says, what is that smell? This room stinks. And then he starts running through the house, and he's saying, this whole house stinks. And then he runs out, opens the door, runs outside, and he says, the whole world stinks. And little did he know that he was the one who stunk. That Simon, that Simon, in spite of Jesus' miraculous healing of his leprosy, Simon displayed no real sense of gratefulness to Jesus. He must have thought, Jesus, heal me because I'm important. You know, Jesus is good to me because I eat the right diet. Jesus is good to me because I worship on the right day. Jesus is good to me because I pay a tithe. Sometimes we get to thinking that. He thought, I'm significant. He needs me, Simon thought. If you could be so lucky to be like me, Simon thought. It's a sick religious entitlement. And Jesus speaks up in defense of Mary. And I'll tell you, everything comes crashing down. Here it comes. Jesus finally speaks in the defense of Mary. And everything backfires for Simon. And the process, he gives Simon a lesson in what Christianity is really all about. It's not in the rigid rules. It's not about rigid rules or regulations, about the do's and the don'ts, no formal creeds and sayings, but Christianity is simply a response to Jesus Christ and walking where Jesus walked. Jesus tells Simon about a creditor who forgave two debtors who could not pay. He forgave one a large sum, millions, and then he forgave another with a small sum, just maybe a few hundreds. And then Jesus asks the question, now which one of them will love the creditor more? And Simon answers, the one, I suppose, whom he forgave more. And then Jesus replies, you have answered rightly, Simon. And confronted by Jesus' story, Simon had to give an answer that passed sentence on himself and cleared Mary. Can you imagine Jesus put him in a corner and asked him the question where now Simon is condemning himself and he's approving what this woman did. Wow. Only Jesus can do that. Maybe he's wanting to do that to some of us here in this place. Confronted by Jesus' story, Simon had to give an answer that passed sentence on himself and cleared Mary. Notice verse 44. 
Let's go to verse 44. Luke chapter 7, verse 44. The Bible says, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wept, wet my feet with tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since I have come, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. He who thinks they're little sinners will love Jesus little. That's why Paul said, I'm the chiefest of sinners. Simon saw nothing extraordinary about Jesus. You know what Simon's problem was? He was a narcissist. He was a narcissist. But don't think, I mean, he, he had a full-blown case of narcissist, but you, you and I can still have, have a case of it. It may not be full-blown. Narcissism is a disease greater than leprosy. His greater need was not on the outside of leprosy. His greater need was narcissism, a healing of the heart. Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the greatest of them all? He has an overwhelming need for admiration. Hey, you, over there, look at me. Do you hear me? Look at me. If anyone is entitled to heaven and eternal life, it's me. Mary wouldn't let anything hinder her adoration of Jesus. And this is the key that opens the door to worship. You want to know how to worship God more closely, more dearly? Here's the key that opens the door of worship. Here it is. Don't be inhibited about what anybody else is thinking of you. When you come to church and you worship God, you worship him as though you're the only person here. That's what Mary did. That's what Mary did. Mary wouldn't let anything hinder her. Her intense, for, of, 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 her intense love for Christ was matched only by her deep sense of sinfulness and of Christ's wonderful forgiveness. That's what drove her there. And not a room full of macho, testosterone-driven men. Not a sinful past. Not what other people thought of her. That's what Jesus was wanting to do. What is hindering your worship this morning? Is, that, is, it, is it that abortion you had some time ago? Is it that affair you had? Is it that big secret that you kept to yourself and not even your wife or your husband knew about it? That's what Jesus was hoping Simon would understand, that the more sinful one feels, the more wonderful grace appears. And that the one who senses great forgiveness will love God the most. You want to love God more? Realize what a sinner you are in the inside. How wretched we are. Laodicea. 
people, I came to tell you. But God doesn't love me because I'm tall. He doesn't love me because I'm white. He doesn't love me because I'm a pastor. He doesn't love me because I'm married or because I'm a father, because I attend church. God loves me because God is who he is. It's his very nature to love. And he loves the sinner as much as the saint. And you know what? His love isn't dependent on how I behave or misbehave. His love is dependent on himself. His love for me is based not on my behavior or goodness or obedience or disobedience. He is God and it is his nature to love. And we never have to be afraid that his love will go away. That's the difference between God's love and our love. When God forgives, it is full. When God forgives, it is free and it is lasting. So tell me who wouldn't serve a God like that. I'm going to close with this story and then I'll take my seat. There was a brother and a sister who were throwing rocks in the pond and somehow the brother hit the neighbor's duck and the duck fell over and died. And the little brother said to his sister, please, please don't tell mama I killed the duck. I'll do anything you want, just don't tell mama. The little sister said, okay, go get the wagon. You're going to pull me in the wagon. So he went and he got the wagon and sister got inside and started pulling and up the hill and down the hill and around the block. And when he started to get really tired and slow up, she would yell out, I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell. And then he would give it all he had. Sometimes she would make him get in the back and push. Other times she would have, have him slow down and other times go fast. And whenever he tried to take a rest, she'd holler out, I'm going to tell mama. And all day long, all day long, he pulled and he pushed that wagon until finally toward the end of the day he figured out that hiding his sin was worse than telling it. So he dropped the handle of that wagon and he started toward the house. And little sister said, I'm going to tell mama. And he said, no you're not because I'm going to tell mama. And he went into the house and up the stairs and there he found mama in the bedroom. And she was sitting at the rocking chair looking outside the window. And he sat in her lap and the tears started coming down before the words did. And she said, Mama, and he said, Mama, I'm sorry I disobeyed you. You told us not to throw rocks and I disobeyed you and I made a mistake and I killed the neighbor's duck and I'm so sorry, Mama. And his mother put her arms around her son and said, that's all right, son. I know you didn't mean to harm the duck. I forgive you. In fact, son, I saw you when you did it. I've been waiting for you to come to me. What took you so long? And friend, that's how it is with Jesus. Who are we hiding it from? He saw us do it before we did it. 
And he's waiting right now for us to come to him. I'm going to ask you now to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Would every person do that right now as we as we respond to this message, as we open our hearts to the moving of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Jesus asked Simon a pointed question. Do you see this woman? Why did Jesus ask Simon, did you see this woman? Because we see the homosexual. We see the heavy makeup and the low-cut dress. And we see the wine in the closet and we smell the alcohol on their breath. And we hear the foul language and we notice the tattoos and the piercings. But friend, is that all you see? Because if it is, you will never love them as Jesus loves them. Do we see the woman? Do we see Jesus? Oh, how I want you to see this woman. Because what you see will determine whether or not we are a caring church. Don't give people what they deserve. <laughs> Do you really want what you deserve? Give them what will save them. Unconditional love. Unconditional Christ-like acceptance. Give them. Give them. Give them what will save them. In Jesus' name, amen.